Community Church. I'm Candy Easley. I'm the executive pastor here, and I've been here for five years, which seems like a long time to me, but you start to think of 25 years. It's an amazing gift that Richard and Donna, you have blessed this community with, not only this community, but really around the world. We heard voices from Rwanda and and other places, Austria, where we know that God's word is alive because of Richard Dahlstrom's teaching and Donna and Richard's ministry. So, Today, we're going to look at a scripture that's actually kind of in the news. There's something that last happened 800 years ago. Maybe you've already read about it. It's when two planets kind of aligned together and they created such a brightness in the sky that it's called sometimes the the star of Christmas or the star of Bethlehem. And I wonder, church, isn't it a strange thing that that's happening today, right now, this coming week, in a pandemic? When, when a pandemic is something that only happens every hundred years or so, or, or who knows how often, is God trying to tell us something? I believe so. And I believe it's in the scriptures, this same message. Our Advent theme is the heavens declare. It's, it's all behind me. This idea that there is a grand canopy of the universe, a grand canopy of time that has spoken to humanity over all time. People have stepped out of their, of their homes, of their tents, of their dwellings, their doors, And and they've been struck by the majesty of the heavens. Perhaps long before our time, there there was nothing like light pollution. You know, we step out our door and we might see, especially in Seattle, some clouds. Uh, We might see the street light across the street. We might see cars or buses going by. But the ancient people saw the sky and it caused them to wonder. The heavens declare, the psalmist tells us in Psalm 19, exactly this, the heavens declare the glory of God. I want to tell you a little bit more than that part I have memorized. And you know what? As I read this Psalm, if you would like to get a Bible out, that'd be a really good idea because uh, in this uh, day right now, holding something tangible that reminds us of the reality of God is really helpful. So go ahead and find a Bible. I bet you've got one somewhere. And if you have to use your phone, go ahead, because I'm going to read you the Psalm and then we're going to get to today's scripture. So here we go. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display their knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And the heavens declared that glory to the magi. And that's who we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the mystery of joy that came to these magi who made a journey to go see Jesus. So now if you've got your Bible, and I hope you do, or if you've got a phone, go ahead, turn to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read about the shortest scripture reading ever, except perhaps for the words, Jesus wept, which is a whole sermon in itself. 
the God of the universe wept. But here comes this passage. Last week, we studied the first chapter of Matthew, and it's all about the genealogy and, and how Mary was pledged to Joseph and, and the, the foretelling, the prophecy that there would be a baby born of a virgin. And then in, in chapter two, there's a tiny part of a verse that says this, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to pick up right here. The second part of verse one of chapter two. If you want to read with me, go ahead. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the East and we've come to worship him. That's our scripture. Please pray with me. Gracious God, we do thank you that you have spoken through the heavens, that you are speaking today through your word. We pray that that the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth would be not only acceptable in your sight, our God, but they would enliven in us your very Holy Spirit. So come, Lord Jesus, speak to us this morning through your word, that we might become more and more the people that you've designed and redeemed us to be. In the name of Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So there it is. These wise men came from the east. And we're going to see, I'm going to give you a few extra verses from chapter two in just a bit. We're going to see that they become overjoyed. They move from this watching the heavens to moving toward God because God invites them to falling on their knees for joy because they're encountering the living God of the universe. So today we're looking at this mystery of joy and we're going to look at that in three ways. The first one is this, the joy of discovery, like the joy of taking your breath away seeing what you've never seen before. And then we're going to look secondly at the joy of asking questions, just the joy of asking questions, learning something, being connected to someone else who's wiser than you. And then thirdly, we're going to look at the joy of coming home. There is an incredible homecoming in this passage. And it's not, it's not the kind of coming home where there's maybe warm fuzzies and traditions that, that you step into. It's a kind of coming home to oneself in a way that perhaps you've never known yourself to be before. Coming home to the way God made you. Coming home to God himself. So those are our, our three points that we're going to look at today. The first one is this. The joy of discovery. So there were these wise men and they were from the East and they were in the business of astronomy. It's what they did. I I was going to say all day, but basically they did it at night. They were looking at the stars and, and they looked at them every night, night after night, they were drawn to the stars until one night they saw something they had never seen before. It, it, was, it was unique. They couldn't explain it. Maybe it was the alignment of two planets. We, we don't exactly know. Maybe it was a star that God created, that God sent just for this purpose. 
I, I had the opportunity to study and to imagine this past couple of weeks, what would one of these wise people be like today? And you know, we have them. I, I became introduced to a woman and get this, her name is Jennifer Wiseman. Can you believe that? Last name, Wiseman. And she's an astrophysicist. She's got degrees from Harvard and MIT. She even, during her PhD studies, discovered a comet with one of her colleagues, and she has her name on a comet. Like, this is a wise person. She was interviewed because she's kind of an expert on the, um, I won't even use the correct language, but let's call them telescopes that are out there in space. And she was commenting on the fact that the Hubble telescope is 30 years old, a little bit older than Richard and Donna's tenure here. And when the Hubble was sent out to space, its goal was to be able to take pictures and look back at Earth. But it got out there and it sent its first pictures back. And maybe you've read about it. They were kind of fuzzy. And there was tremendous disappointment in this telescope. Like, what went wrong? Well, there was something wrong with the lens. Can you believe it? All the work, all the hundreds of thousands of dollars that went into creating millions, probably, this whole um, telescope. And about the width of a human hair, was it was off in its lens. And so they had to think, like, what are we going to do? We've sent this thing out into space. It can't do its job. So you know what they designed? Basically glasses for the Hubble. They, 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 they couldn't go out there and fix the lens because it was, too, it was impossible. But they could correct, they could put like a corrective lens on it. And then every camera that's gone out since has been improved so that the camera carries the corrective lens. So we get these amazing pictures from the Hubble. So this woman was describing all of this, Jennifer, the wise man. And she, she talked about her own work. She talked about this amazing uh, desire to understand things that are light years away, things that to understand our galaxy, which is a hundred thousand light years in, in its radius. That's something like in one second going seven and a half times around the world in one second. Like these numbers, they have to have names for these numbers because they're so huge. This is who the Magi were. They were able to look at the stars and, and understand and, and study in their own ancient, with their own ancient technology, what they saw. What can the human eye see and perceive? And one of the things that so impressed me about Jennifer Wiseman is she said, what happens is you either find yourself when you see the vastness of the universe and even universes beyond our universe, you either feel really insignificant or you have a sense of the significance of humanity. What's it like for you? When you step out into the night sky, when you see the stars, there was a time my family and I were on a trip to Yosemite and we heard that the junior rangers, uh, you, you got these little stamp in your book if you did the junior ranger thing. And I thought my kids should for sure have that little stamp in their book and we should explore the things that the park was inviting us to explore. And one of those things was a night walk. And I thought, okay, uh, I want to go on the night walk. Like, why not? You know, don't let the kids have all the fun. Well, we started out on this night walk and, and we first had headlamps on and it got darker and darker. And then pretty soon the guide said, okay, everybody, 
lay down on this huge granite slab and turn off your headlamp and look up at the sky. And she began to speak really quietly. And I personally had this overwhelming sense that I'm part of something so vast. It's, it's really beyond my imagining how big God is. That God designed the heavens that all people over all time could stare up into that same sky. There's a little saying, maybe you learned it as a kid. I see the moon, the moon sees me, the moon sees the one I long to see. So God bless the moon and God bless me and God bless the one I long to see. That's you all. We long to see you. We long to be together. But there is a God. There there is a God who's speaking to us through the heavens. And he's saying, I'm here. I'm here. Come, follow me. I've got things to teach you. We see this in Psalm 8. I'm going to try to turn right to it. I like it out of the J.B. Phillips edition. It says, when I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you, God, should care for them. Yet you have made them, made us, only a little lower than God and crowned us with glory and honor and put us in charge of everything you've made. Wow, don't you kind of want to become an astrophysicist and understand it and start to even look back and light years away? It's like looking back in time, they say, because it takes so long for the light of a star to get to earth. So how did God plan in advance, maybe, that that these wise men of the East would be out gazing at the night sky and it would so align with that time that the baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem that they would look up and they'd say, you know, we want to go see that thing. Have you ever had that experience when the material world whispers to you? It's, it's like kind of like the stars align, like, like something starts to just seem right. Like it's the way I should go. And you see these little confirmations I was out walking the other day with another leader. And as we were walking, this eagle came soaring over us. And it was this reminder to me, like, look up, see what God is doing, that you might soar on the wings of an eagle, like the scripture says. And then I was thinking, well, what other examples are there of this? Like, maybe that's kind of a, you're going to say, oh, she saw an eagle, big deal, you know? And so I was kind of pondering at night, this is what preachers do. Is there another example that would make this point? And I got up and found that when I was working on my sermon last night, my husband was opening Christmas cards. We started to get Christmas card. And we got this very first Christmas card with a simple single word. It says joy. And I'm teaching on joy. Okay, that felt like one of those things. And this is somebody from I've known for a long time. And, and in the card, she says this, it's with joy each year that our family celebrates the birth of Christ at Christmas time. Jesus, a child of color, a foreigner seeking refuge, a champion of the disenfranchised and a healer of the sick. And so this year, it seems appropriate to experience this season through changed eyes and with a fresh sense of the many blessings that we have. And so as you hold this card in your hand, please know that you are one of our blessings. And, and this was signed by somebody that, that we were in ministry with um, probably 25 years ago out in Sammamish. So 
the natural world sometimes gets our attention. And I was thrilled to have that Christmas card come and, and provide that. And then when I arrived this morning and I was sort of scribbling that note into my sermon, Richard said, hey, Kendi, it's a sermon, whatever it is. You know, you just got to preach it. It's too late to add anything. And then I showed him a book that I was about to use a quote from. And he said, oh, did you know that guy used to go to Bethany? No, I did not know that guy used to go to Bethany. So as I was praying last night, God, how could I give some good examples of how the natural world sort of speaks to us? I feel like God was shouting at me this morning. Here's a Christmas card that says the word joy. Here's the author that you were going to quote. He used to go to Bethany. Amazing. Think about how is God speaking to you, if you will, through the natural world. So I love this book by the guy, Scott Erickson, who used to go to Bethany. He's an amazing author, and he wrote a book, just came out, called Honest Advent. And he says this is what happened to the Magi. There was a deep uh, desire in the Magi not to go on a road trip. They weren't sitting around saying, hey, should we go on a road trip? No, the deep desire of the Magi was to connect with the creator of the world, They were looking at the stars because they wanted to connect to something bigger than themselves. And they were good at it. They wanted to know God. They were willing to move from observation to participation, to pursuing the knowledge of who God really is. Well, these men were so wise that they were called different names, sometimes magi. And, and magi, that, that word comes, we get the word magician. It's like their knowledge was sort of magical. And yet they take the word of this star and it, it causes them to act. So now we're going to get to our next two opportunities to experience joy. The joy of asking questions. So God sends these magi on a journey and, and they go along. They're following the star. They're they're perhaps wondering, where's the star going to stop? Where where are we really heading to Bethlehem? The the Jewish faith was not their faith, but there was prophecy about this star of Bethlehem. So they arrive, the star stops, and they arrive at King Herod's like uh, palace, his, his, his courtyard. And they arrive asking the questions. They've come to see the king of the area. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? That's what they want to know. Uh, because we want to go and worship him. So something's happened in them, in their hearts. They don't just want to know where he is. They want to know where he is because they want to respond. And actually, it happens that Herod doesn't exactly know the answer where the king of the Jews is. So he goes to the side and like consults with, with his folks, his uh, cabinet, and, and they tell him, you know, there's prophecy about this. There's prophecy that there's to be a child and he's to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod comes back and he tells the Magi uh, that the child's going to be born in Bethlehem. And then we pick up in verse 9. If you have your Bible, you could open it up again and hear this. After they had heard the king, the Magi went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them. So it's moving again. It went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They, they had joy beyond measure. It's like a mantle of joy came on them, like, like stars flooding their hearts and their minds. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, 
and they bowed down and worshiped him. They bowed down. This thing that they saw was so amazing that it drove them down to their knees. They they were men who'd been looking at the night sky and other people came to them for advice, but they fell to their knees in that moment. They were experiencing something they'd never known before. They didn't know what it would be like to encounter the living God. And it took them to their knees. How about us? When's the last time that something took you to your knees? You know, friends, we're in COVID. For gall darn sakes, can you believe it? We've been sat home. We've been told to wear masks. We've been told that you can't go to your gym. You can't go to your office. It's not healthy. You need to respect the health of other people and and protect them from your germs. Protect each other. Be a community. Be what Jennifer Wiseman called citizens of the universe. Have a respect for what's happening in the natural order. But friends, is this not also an invitation that we're on a journey? We're on a journey like none we've ever known and wouldn't have chosen. And how's God speaking to us in this journey? I have a friend who's great at asking questions. And part of what he does when he asks these questions is he invites other people in. And, you know, last year, do you remember last year in January, February seemed kind of normal? March, okay, we're not going to be meeting in church for just a couple weeks. No problem. We can handle that. Along came April, and I was starting to feel like, oh, my goodness, it's April. And this friend said, hey, do you want to take on the April challenge? Like, what's the April challenge? Let's walk 10,000 steps a day every day. I said, yes, let's do that thing. And I did it. And it was great. I even set my own a record, 30,000 steps in one day. But this friend, he kept going. He felt like God's call in this pandemic was to become a healthier person. He's lost like over 50 pounds. He looks totally different. He looks 25 years younger. He's healthier. He's sleeping better. He's drinking less. What might God be calling us to in this pandemic? We care about health. How about our own health? How about taking seriously, bringing down our own risks? How about that journey of something you've been meaning to do, but you just didn't get to it? It's, it's not just tidying up your drawers. I've, I've, I've heard of a young woman who had a goal this year of reading 30 books. She's now read 100. She's taking this invitation to the life of the mind really seriously. So the joy of asking questions, questions get us connected to other people. And then lastly, the joy of coming home. They fall on their knees. And it's as if they say to God, whatever I know and don't know of myself, I offer to you. And whatever I know and don't know of you, I I, I come, I I receive you. I, I want to be in relationship. And then I picture them like down there on their knees and kind of looking at each other like, oh, the gifts, we've got gifts. They had packed up gifts at the beginning of the journey. It's kind of a tradition um, in that day when you're going on a journey, you're going to expect hospitality. They had camel bags. They probably even had people whose job it was to tend to the camels. This was probably not just three people. Now that may catch you as by surprise. 
Because there's a, there's a song, we all sing it, We Three Kings. Well, they weren't kings, they were magi, and there weren't necessarily three of them. In fact, in Eastern tradition, there were 12 of them. We, we don't exactly know how many they were. Perhaps it's because there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. That's why we get this idea that there were three. In the Armenian church, which I'm half Armenian, they actually have names. They, they, they think they know which person what brought which gift. But, but they opened up their bags and they got out the gifts and they handed them to Jesus. They've come to that end of their journey, if you will. And something changes within them. They have a new sense of purpose, a new sense of direction. I I have a favorite poet. It's T.S. Eliot. I'm really not someone who sits around reading poetry, although I kind of wish I were. But I'll tell you this. He he talks about um, this whole experience of the Magi in a poem called The Journey of the Magi. And T.S. Eliot is best known for really writing about time. He it said that he has the most exquisite phrase in the English language. It's this, at the still point of the turning world. I think that's what the Magi experienced on their knees. The still point of the turning world. Where they had a, a, an awareness that God had intervened in the person of Jesus. And, and T.S. Eliot in his uh, poem, Journey of the Magi, says, this is what we were led all that way for, a birth or a death. There was a birth, certainly. We had seen evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but I thought they would be different. Birth and death. So Jesus was born and what died? What died in them was their their sense of themselves that they were the center of the universe, their knowledge, their reputation, their their own self-importance. And they stepped in instead to this reality that God is speaking through the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. A quick closing story is this. This year was my daughter's uh, engagement uh, last year and then anticipated to be wedding. And the wedding was going to be big, and it was going to be in a certain spot, a perfect spot. And, and that spot became unavailable because the state said, no, you're not having that many people here. So we moved it to a different state. And that state said, oh, yeah, you can come here. You can have your big party until things got worse. And then the party got smaller and smaller and smaller. And we figured out, what do we do? Do we uninvite people? Do we just see who comes? And, and our daughter Madeline's fiance, Bryce, said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get married on August 9th. That's how this is going to come down. Wherever it is, whoever's there, we're going to get married. And my daughter had in her heart, absolutely, most important thing. But she had in her heart, as a, as a young woman who'd been adopted as a baby, that on that day, absolutely, there would be her husband. But there would also be her birth mother. There would also be the woman who gave her life and the family who adopted her. It was important to her that, that, it would, that those two things would come together. And so we have a picture, and this is my definition of joy. It is not a fleeting happiness. It's not something that happened once, boom, when the adoption was finalized. But it's a moment, a picture of my daughter in her beautiful wedding dress. And she's got her birth mother on one arm, and she's got me, her adoptive mother, on the other arm. 
there was a joy. There was a homecoming in that moment of something that had never been before. There was a new reality that we didn't even know to long for. We didn't know 27 years ago that there would be a moment like that. So what's God doing today in your life? Where's that, where's that intersection of the eternal with the temporal, with the immortal and the mortal? It's in the person of Jesus who says, come, follow me. You belong to me. The heavens declare the glory of God. Let us be overjoyed. Please pray with me. God, use these words, use these thoughts, use this story to enliven in us the reality of who you are. Don't let us settle for a star. Don't let us settle for a journey. God, bring the pieces of our life together. Don't let us settle for a life story that's an incident here and an incident there. God, God, come into the cracks, the holes in our life, the places where we're despairing. What's Christmas going to be like if I'm alone? Well, we're not alone. God, remind us, speak to us that you are with us, that whatever our circumstances are, you are inviting us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, let us be filled with joy. Amen.